0: Xavier Reese and the standard for marriage.
1: Marriage is the institution of God to bring a man and a woman together, a commitment till death. Love for one's mate through the institution of marriage reveals these three simple things. The believer is to recognize that marriage is honorable among all. The believer is to recognize the appropriateness of sexual relationship in marriage. And the believer is to recognize that God will judge fornication and adultery.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Unhappy marriages and divorce are not new to this generation. The simple truth is, throughout history, the sanctity of marriage has been under attack. Well, what's the secret to a successful relationship? Is there any such thing? That's what we're going to explore in today's study. Let's join Pastor Xavier in the book of Hebrews to learn more. Hebrews chapter 13,
1: verse 4, and the message entitled, Marriage is the Best. The author of Hebrews here concludes the epistle with the practical exhortation regarding the proper perspective and practice of love in chapter 13. And notice that he begins this chapter with four individual groups that he addresses. In verse 1, love for the believer. Verse 2, love for the strangers. Verse 3, love for those in prison. And verse four, love for one's maid. It is this last one that I want to focus on. One's love for one's mate through the institution of marriage, which reveals three things to the believer that he is to recognize about marriage. Verse four says, Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but foreigner cares and adulterers, God will judge. Here's the three things that believers to understand from this verse. First, the believers to recognize that marriage is honorable among all. Secondly, the believers to recognize the appropriateness of sexual relationships in marriage. And then thirdly, the believers to recognize that God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Three simple things that are very, very important for us today. First of all, marriage is the institution of God, not man, by this statement. It is from Genesis all the way to here. God created Adam and Eve, Adam from the dust of the ground, Eve from his curved side, And then God, as you know, performed the very first marriage, the very first ceremony to bring a man and a woman together. The idea behind the word for marriage is that of joining two people for life, a commitment till death. Fidelity, loyalty. Now, also marriage As God's institution is honorable, because it is God's institution. The word honorable is pretty self-explanatory. It's the whole something of a great price, uh, of great value, great esteem, especially dear to one. That's what the word means. The reasons for marriage being honorable or of great price and value are given to us in the book of Genesis 2.18. First of all, for companionship. And the Lord God said, It is not good for a man that he should be alone. Companionship. That's the first reason why it's of high value and honorable. Second reason, for compatibility. 2.18 of Genesis. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Compatibility. Male and female were created for the harmonious, efficient living as one. Thirdly, Genesis 2.23 for completeness and Adam said this is now bone of my bones flesh of my flesh she should be called woman because she was taken out of man for completeness here the most natural thought when someone is in love with another person is that they say i cannot live without them because they feel complete in their presence and when they're not in their presence they feel a void now God's love is not based on emotions, but there is that sense of identity when someone's in love. I want to be with that person. Completeness. Fourthly, for community. 2.24 of Genesis says, therefore a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. For community. God created man to be in community according to God's institution of marriage, which is the healthiest and has proven in every civilization And when that is broken, decay comes in. Fifth, for cohabitation, Genesis 2.24, and they shall become one flesh. There is to be a gratification with that one person that cannot be compared to any other. One man, one woman. Good reasons to hold marriage in high value, esteem, a goal if you will, something to shoot for, something to wait for. Something to long for. Today, that's not the perspective. The believer is to recognize that marriage is honorable among all. There is a plan. There is a design. There is a right way. There is a wrong way. And if people follow it, they get the benefit of it. Notice, secondly, that the believer is to recognize the appropriateness of sexual relationships in marriage. He says, in the bed undefiled. That's never stated anywhere else or given permission anywhere else in any other context. God intended it. But also the institution of marriage carries with it an obligation. Here it is. You ready for it? The obligations of having sexual relationships. It's a privilege and it's an obligation. You might find that strange when I say that. But the scriptures command us. The Christian in marriage Can communicate to his or her mate a desire to abstain for a set time, perhaps for the purpose of seeking the Lord or fast, whatever it may be. But only for a set time by permission, something that's reasonable. Some Christians at times, they, you know, they think that if they deny themselves this right once they're married, then that makes them more spiritual. No, no, I just makes people more frustrated. Paul the Apostle, as you know, addresses the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. He says, he says, I would have you to know that a man is not to touch a woman or a woman a man except for their own mate. And that both of you have the equal obligation. And he focused on the man not to deny himself to his wife, because that's a conjugal right. Except by permission and with a reasonable time, less you be tempted by Satan and you'd come back and everything goes well. So the command is the obligation to the man and he deals with the woman also. Once you say I do at the altar, you cannot say I won't in the bedroom. It is undefiled, free from dishonor and soiling. You feel that you want to keep yourself from sex? Hey, great, serve the Lord, but don't get married. Don't destroy a person, don't, don't do that. Now, both husbands and wives are obligated to maintain sexual purity. Not only obligation to conjugal rights, but to maintain sexual purity. Both being loyal to each other. Not allowing any other person to rob them of their affections. You don't have to have sex with somebody. If you are opening up yourselves to another, beginning with flirting, you be careful. In your sexual relationship as husband and wife, you are coming to each other in a sweet surrender. Affections. Devotion of love for one another. The sexual union of husband and wife as one flesh also bears children. That's another benefit. An incredible benefit. You have 23 chromosomes of the man and the woman coming together to form that child, mixed two into one, a combination. What an incredible thing. And as you look at that child, they will have resemblance of you, features of you, mannerisms. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish whether you're talking to the father or the son over the phone. <laughs> sometimes they're so much like us, even in features, that it's scary. You go, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) But what a blessing they are, huh? They will bring joy to your life that you would never know ever before. Heartache also. It's been said when they're young, they break your windows, and when they grow up, they break your heart. (laughs) But what joy it is to have children. They will bring you to your knees, which is a great thing. You see, you might be at work, and you might be the head honcho, and you might be the head guy, and they people just look at you and they just admire you and they just this and that, and and and, and you come home, but your children have you on your knees, and God brings you down to reality. You bring you to your knees. That's good. I'm sure that. Every one of us have been to a um, baseball game at night. Under the lights, it's great. You have the green grass, all the color, rich brown, red dirt. It's been graded. But if you go down in that infield and you take a shovel full of that dirt that looks beautiful there, and you take it into your living room and you throw it down on your brand new white carpet, now what was beautiful now looks dirty and is dirty because you've taken out of its environment. Young people, you take sex out of the environment of marriage, it's not only dirty, it becomes destructive. Nothing wrong with sex. God designed it. Satan's perverted it. We have abused it in its proper environment. The believer is to recognize the appropriateness of sexual relationships in marriage. Notice third and last, the believers to recognize that God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. The word "but" is a sharp contrast to the blessing against the judgment. The cultural background of the sexual permissiveness and low view of marriage in Paul's day uh, was much like It is in our day. And so it must have shocked them as much as it shocks our society when they hear this. When we're on the radio, whenever we talk about sex and marriage, we get the greatest request. (laughs) And some people are just blown out of the water. How dare you say what you're saying? Because it's a shock to them. Come on, you're in the 21st century. What's the matter with you? You're a Puritan. What's the matter with you? You know, they don't understand. The Jewish view of women, though it was the highest, was still low. They had a low view of women. They, their, their morning prayer was, I thank you, God, that you didn't make me a woman, a Gentile, or a slave. That was a morning prayer. How'd you like that, ladies? The school of Shemaiah was the conservative, and he taught that only adultery was the only reason for divorce. So he was conservative. And then you have Halel, and you remember the liberal by the L, Halel. He taught that you could divorce your wife for every cause. No matter what, doesn't make any difference. So the interpretation was based on Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, where it says if a man finds someone clean as a wife, he can divorce her. But the rabbis misinterpreted that, and they used it and abused it, and Jesus rebuked them. He says, it's because of the hardness of your heart, he said in Matthew 19, 8. Why did Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, you're unwilling to repent and you're unwilling to forgive. That's why. The provision in Deuteronomy 24 was really a warning against the man. If you divorce your wife without adultery, because if adultery happened, she would be stoned and no problem. If you just divorce her because you don't want to be with her anymore and what you're using a bunch of lame excuses and you allow her to leave, you give her right in the divorce, she marries another, you've caused her to be defiled because you've put her out. So if her husband now dies, you can't remarry her because she's unclean now. You've defiled her. It was a warning to the man. When you tell your wife to go without adultery, you'll never get her back. You can't. That was the law. That's not the prescription for the New Testament. I've seen Christians get divorced in 10, 15 years, 20, they get remarried again, now as Christians. Praise God. We're under grace. Rabbi Akiba interpreted the uncleanness to mean anything. In in as far as if you're walking down the street as a Jew and you see this beautiful, gorgeous woman and she is more beautiful to your eyes than your wife, then your wife becomes unclean in your eyes so you can divorce her. How convenient. She burns the bagels. Divorce. Whatever. Okay? Any cause. Every cause. The only time a woman could divorce a man was if he was a leopard or if he was insane. Pretty limited, huh? (laughs) Who's going to marry a leopard or, or a lame man? Two witnesses, that's all it took. Here it is, go your way. Think about it, that's the Jewish view of women. That was the highest. It's pretty low, isn't it? The Greeks' view of women was even worse. Prostitution was part of Greek society, as you know. Demosthenes laid it down like this as an accepted rule. He said, we have courtesans for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and having a faithful guardian for all our household affairs. Divorce was nothing more than a change of mind, an opinion, and a fancy. Like today. When no-fault divorce came in, it destroyed our country. It overlorded the courts. It drained our economy. It put a strain on families. Any attempt by women or men to charge God or Christianity with such a view of women, of low view, is an ignorance to the Scriptures. For there has never been a culture or philosophy or any form of education or whatever you want to call it to do more for women than Christianity. The study of history... Gives us this evidence. It has made such an impact on women's life. It has brought them up to the highest level. Honoring them. You remember the woman caught in adultery. Jesus says, where are your accusers woman? There are none, Lord. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Jesus brought that woman right up to the equality of a man before the eyes of God. For forgiveness. She's still a woman. She's got a different role. She's like... The Bible says, but she's equal for sin and forgiveness, just like a man. The honorableness of the institution of marriage, notice, is contrasted with the promise of judgment to two particular groups here who dishonor and defile marriage. The first is the fornicators. You're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 through 17, Paul confronts the Corinthians about joining themselves to the prostitutes of Corinth with the temple of Aphrodite's there. And he says, Don't you know that when you join yourself to a harlot, you make yourself one with her, and therefore you make Christ one with her? He says, What are you guys doing? In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 6.18 that fornication is the only sin that is done against our own body. Okay, And we should never teach this from a self-righteousness because if we were in the world, we probably fell into it. But now we see the destruction. Now we see God's design. The Proverbs chapter 5 and 6 warns about that simple man, that naive young man who's walking around. The seductress looks from her window and checks him out, and she's like a, a lion for, for the prey. And she flatters with her in and her lips, and he says, come, let's take our fill of love. My master's gone with a bag of money. I don't know when he's coming back, and I've decked my bed with tapestry and aloes and all these spices. Come, and it says, and he goes like an ox to the slaughter. He doesn't know until those darts hit him. And his feet go down to hell. Many people have gone there and never come back. Breaking of the eighth commandment. You shall not steal. Deuteronomy 5.19 If you commit fornication, you are taking what does not belong to you. It belongs to another man or woman in the future. That's stealing. The second is the group of adulterers. Those who would be disloyal and unfaithful to their vows and have sex while being married with another, whether they be single or married also. The seventh commandment, Deuteronomy 5.18, breaking it. Job says there, the eyes of the adulterer wait for the twilight, saying, no eye will see me. And he disguises his face, Job 24.15. That is not the case today. People boast about it. People plan it out. No big deal. Like the proverb says, she, she commits adultery and she just, she just wipes her mouth and says, what's the problem? Life as usual. Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Thank God for God's grace. But if you're there, he's talking to Corinthians. If you're there, and you continue there. Don't be deceived and don't deceive yourself. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty straight warning. Paul wrote to them and told him, I wrote you in an earlier epistle not to keep company with fornicators, but not the fornicators of the world, but those who call themselves brothers. So if there's a brother who says he's a Christian and he's fornicating, don't, don't even eat with him, he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, or the 6th chapter interesting now I'm living next to an unbeliever he's living with his girlfriend and he moves in and he says hey Xavier how you doing hey, what you know oh, yeah. oh yeah listen come on we're going to have a barbecue this week come over and we'll get to know it. sure I'll go you say you go he's living with his girlfriend he's a pagan what do you want him to do I'm going to go and be a witness and see if God opens the door but you live next door to me you live next door to me and you're a Christian, and you move in with your girlfriend. He you say, Hey, Pastor X, wanna have a barbecue? Come over. I go, oh, I can't. Why? Because you're contradicting what you are. I rebuke you, I call you to repentance. And if you repent, I'll go eat the hamburger. <laughs> All right? The church has lost the responsibility of holding people accountable. Matthew 18. Not critical, not self-righteously, lovingly, and looking for repentance, restoration. You understand what I'm talking about? Sex without marriage not only brings destruction to the person involved but to society. As the saying goes, history repeats itself. Listen to this. An anthropologist, J.D. Unwin, conducted a study of 88 civilizations that have come and gone in the world's history. In every one of them, these 88 civilizations, the moral and strict sexual conduct standards, they were equal in every way, but then things became lax and the people became more lax in their freedoms and expressions of sexual conduct uh, as they pleased. Uh, That freedom began to destruct the society, the civilization. First came venereal disease, then the breakup of the homes. Children were brought up in unstable environments and patterned their behavior after their parents behavior, and making each succeeding generation more degenerate than the last. Thus, the civilizations eventually were destroyed. In fact, a study of 5,000 civilizations revealed that 50 were characterized as sexually free and confusing the sex roles without distinction. Now, the are homosexual, lesbianism, or the boundaries bringing about decay, listen, and the death of all 50. If you've got cancer... You might live five days, five weeks, five months, five years, but it's going to kill you. When a society starts going down this road outside of the context of marriage, it will kill and destroy the country. It's just a matter of time. The greater destruction and damage is always to the woman. Notice I said the greater. Both of them get destroyed. The element is greater on the woman because she always bears the brunt and she's the one that's more emotionally attached and she's the one that sends the feelings of betrayal. God has made you that way, ladies. It's just the way it is. A believer is to recognize that God will judge fornication and adulterers. Society may not punish us, but we, it does, what goes around comes around, you play, you pay. It's all true. And so, what an incredible statement here as we come to the close of the book of Hebrews as he brings this practical section. Love for one's mate through the institution of marriage reveals these three simple things. The believer is to recognize that marriage is honorable among all. The believer is to recognize the appropriateness of sexual relationship in marriage. And the believer is to recognize that God will judge fornicators and adulterers. May God give us wisdom as Christians. May you guard your
0: mind and heart. Pastor Xavier Reese and the Standard for Marriage on today's Simple Truths. Marriage is the Best is the title of today's study and is available, as always, on CD for only $4. And by the way, this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is... Marriage is the Best, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Next time, a final study from our series in the book of Hebrews when you join Pastor Xavier Rees on Simple Truths.